as we looked at in depth last week, this idea of justification based on what Paul wrote in uh, Galatians 2.16. Uh, I, I left this slide out last week, wanted to put it in there so um, we could um, get another, uh, not another idea, but another uh, uh, scholar, theologian that we all uh, appreciate, get his his definition as well. But th- these last week we looked primarily at verses 15 and 16 of Galatians chapter 2, which says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. And um, just to... uh, if you just to help us recap from last week for a moment, this is all an address that Paul is really kind of quoting in his letter to the Galatians, the uh, address that he made to Peter and the others that were, I mean, he was directed at Peter primarily. It was Peter's the one that kind of lit the fuse, I guess you could say, and, and uh, for what he had done of withdrawing from the Gentiles and when the uh, favored Judaizers came. But Paul is sharing this with the Galatians because of what we learned in chapter 1 in the earlier parts of chapter 2, that they are kind of like giving up, you know, on the the true gospel of uh, of Christ. And, and, and Chris and I were talking out in the hall earlier, and, and I, I think I've reiterated this every week, since I've been in this section, that I, I'm just amazed, I think, to, and I think it does us really good to, to just to remember that how earth-shattering this truth was for Paul. Yeah, I mean, this is the Jew of Jews we're talking about. He had lived his whole life with this idea of do this, do this, do this, and then all of a sudden we're bringing in this idea of justification uh, by faith, by faith, not by by works, and then we talked about last week because you know you could lose sight of the impact of that. Which I guess, according to church history, I think you all could help me out here that have studied that more recently than me. But um, not that I've studied it a bunch. But um, um, if you think of how the church went in the first couple hundred years right after Christ. You know, it wasn't long before they were back in this mindset, right? And and that just kept going and going and going. And then we end up in the 1500s, and the Lord was, I guess we could say, tired of it going and going and going that way. And he intervened primarily through what, you know, we call the Reformers, Martin Luther, of course, and how earth-shattering it was for him. You know, I mentioned last week that in November I read a, new biography on Luther that was really good and just to put ourselves in his shoes you know of this is the way of life for what he had learned and um, in the Catholic Church and um, and but then you know that's been 500 years for us right and here we are today and it hopefully earth shattering for us as well right so that's kind of where we we were last week and so somebody read that definition and then we'll move on. All right, good, thanks. So we're going to move on today from the, this verse, but Paul is still in his address. I, I looked 
and there are differing opinions, um, but I've settled, and if maybe Chris has a different one, but I, I believe that from uh, 17 to the end of the chapter, Paul is still addressing um, the, uh, the, the, he's addressing the Galatians, but he's still reporting his uh, speech, rebuke, whatever you want to say it, to Peter. Some, some things I looked at think that he switched uh, but we could discuss that after class. I, I found a, uh, a really good uh, reason why in a commentator named Douglas Moo, who is pretty good authority on, on these kinds of things. So this he's still going on in what we're going to look at today in verses 17 to 21. But let me ask you this first off. What drives Paul in ministry? What motivates him? What's driving him? All right, the, that's okay. To right, exactly right. I mean, he's wanting. He's got his. Well, where did that come from? Where did the drive to the gospel to the Gentiles come from in his heart? Direct, yeah, right. It came from the Lord, right? And and so I I think of where would it come from for us? Or if you have that, well, I guess you ought to have it. Right? Right, if you've been affected by it, where does ours come from? Same place, right? I mean, think about that. I, I'm telling you, this section. When I got done with this study this week, I wondered, am I even a Christian? You know, <laughs> I mean, this is hard. You know, uh, the, but it came from the Gentiles. So, I mean, from the Lord to the Gentiles, the truth, the truth, and He mentions that several times, right? So, another question: What was Paul's strategies to reach the Gentiles with the gospel message. What do you think? We talked about this a little bit last week. Alright. Alright. What else? One of his strategies. What? Alright, going to the synagogue first. And, and then what really got them mad at him though? Okay. In what way? Okay, good. And even if it was a Gentile there, right? Yeah. Yeah, and he even went so far as to what? Eat with them, live with them, hang out with them, right? And 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 that that was hard for the Jews, right? But in order to pro- proclaim this effectively to the Gentiles, he hung out with them, and I mean this, you know, that's really d- causing division, right? And First Corinthians nine twenty one says, "I became as one outside the law that I might win those outside the law," and uh, and that would include sharing meals with them, right? Living with them, hanging out with them, and uh, well, I won't say that. Never mind. So, what effect did this that approach have on the Judaizers? Remember what we said about that? This idea that here's this Jew, the Jew of Jews, if you will. You know, what affected him hanging out with the Gentiles? The fact that he's not only talking to them, but he is hanging with them. They lost their minds. All right, yeah. It made them extremely nervous. They lost their minds. They're freaking out, right? And, and um, in fact, the Jews of a stricter persuasion 
are convinced that Paul is, he's just gone too far this time. This is this is just more we can handle, right? They believe that he relates to the Gentiles in ways that are just unacceptable. They would even go so far to say that he relates to the Gentiles in a way that is unlawful. I mean, he is really going out there now, right? They might say it like this. Paul, when you're with the Gentiles, you act just like them. There's hardly any difference between you and them, right? Yeah, so, yeah, so you, you get the drift here, right, of how it's going. I mean, you know, it's, it's almost going to, in, in my mind, it almost looks like, well, they're going to come after him the way that he uh, was going after Christians in, in Acts, not too long before our situation here, right? So we see in verses 17 and 18, moving forward this morning, then Paul's rejection of of the charge of license. That's where this goes, and that's where we ended last week. So if somebody would read Galatians 2, 17 and 18. But if while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners. Is Christ then a minister of sin? May it never be. For if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. All right, so is this giving us license to sin? Pardon? No, uh-uh, right? But no doubt these false teachers, both in Antioch and in Galatia, were making the same reasonable argument against Paul in, this, in, in his insistence on grace. So their thinking was, too much emphasis on grace will make Christ a minister of sin. Right. That is, if a believer does not need to keep the law in any fashion, then logically this would mean that justified sinners can continue with no repercussions. Well, that's, that's the key in any fashion. I mean, the law is, the moral law is still obviously binding, but mm-hmm. it's like he was eating pork and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. That's what they thought was the sin. Yeah. But it's like, that, you know, obviously Peter had that vision Right, and therein lies the problem, right? So think how that could be for us today, right? You know, so, well, that, that brings up a good point. Uh, do, is the whole law, and this is what you were going to maybe talk about next week, so maybe we'll leave it for them, but it's something of the nature of, is the whole law just completely shattered then? Right, and we can. That's kind of what you're saying, you know. Or can we just go do what? And and if it's shattered, then we can do what we want. Or are there still some moral laws that that we abide by? Right. So more to come on that. We'll just leave that there. Right. But look how he again, verse 17, how he responds to that charge. But if but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Now, of course, you know, I think this is a rhetorical question. What's he implying there? 
you think? I mean, Paul, I'm sure, hurled these same convincing arguments against the lawless Christians before he came to the Lord. So he's he's seeing things totally different now for some reason, right? So what's he implying in that question? Yeah, I think, you know, what he's getting at here is this strict observance to the Jewish law. Maybe that's a good way of saying it, right? We could be judged a sinner if if we're saying that, you know, in that mindset, right? So that's why he asked the question, right? I think of to get to the point is here we are. We're saved by grace. We're placed in union with Christ. And so does that make it... Um, he that Christ is then a sinner, right? And that's what he gets to in, at the end of that verse. Look, I think it'll help us. Click the slide there, Troy. It'll help us. Somebody read this quote by John Stott. And, I, and again, look at the end of verse 17. This is a question. So John Stott provides some insight into the assumptions of this question. Okay, so valid points, right? So if God justifies bad people, then what's the point of being good? That's kind of what's rattling around in their minds, something of that nature, right? And I, uh, this all makes a lot more sense when we get to the end of it. Because as uh, Stott in that uh, quote there says that there was one point where it said being in union. That's going to really bring it together for us when we understand that. But Paul's opponents thought that people who disregarded the law and its righteous works would be found sinners. Why? Because Christ is the one who supplies that grace that leads to lawlessness. He would actually be enabling sinful people. That's their thinking. If the grace is from Christ... And in that, if you're relying on the grace instead of the law, that's going to lead to lawlessness. Therefore, Christ is enabling a sinful lifestyle. But is that a valid conclusion to draw from the gospel's message of salvation by grace through faith plus nothing? Seems reasonable, doesn't it? I mean, if you just look at it on the surface, I mean, based on human logic, what else could we say about that? But what does Paul do at the end of verse 17? What does he say? May it never be. Right? Has anybody got another translation? The Net Bible said, absolutely not. Certainly not. May it never be. Absolutely not. God forbid. I remember years and years ago when David Kemp taught uh, Romans. He said in, in the Romans passage on that, he said that was an that is an absurd statement. <laughs> you know that 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 works right. Certainly not. May it never be. God for, forbid. Absolutely not. Right. And he actually then turns the argument around on the on the hearers 
because before salvation by grace through faith in Christ, the law served only to separate the Gentiles from the people of God and to condemn Gentiles, us included, for our sinfulness, right? Why? Because none of us can keep the law perfectly, right? I mean, do you know of anybody, well, Christ, but other than him, that could keep the law perfectly? Remember what James said? James 2.10, anybody remember that? For whoever keeps the whole law and stumbles in one point is guilty of it all. We're all condemned with that, right? So why on earth would Paul go back and try to rebuild this legalistic structure around the Gentiles? In his mind, it's either the law or the gospel of Christ. We're talking about for salvation, not for living, for salvation. But it can't be both. Can't be both. Uh, and I've got a quote by F.F. F. Bruce that notes this contrast well. And uh, Troy left. He's clicking the slide. Oh, you got it? You got it up there? Oh, well, you head up the game there. Somebody read that one. I love the first word, if, if. Go ahead. Somebody read it. Isn't that great? Still in their sins. If we're looking for our justification for, from anywhere other than Christ, we're still in our sins. And just like the Judaizers of Paul's day, legalists today try and build their assurance of salvation on, on, on a life of good works, and they judge the genuineness of others' salvation by that same criteria. What are some examples of that today? Church of Christ. Church of Christ? All right. Elaborate on that a little bit. Well, I mean, they, they believe. Okay. And I, so would they accept somebody doing that in a Baptist church and being okay? No, you have to get rebaptized in their church. Yeah, that's right. So there's they even take that a step further. That's right. The Church of Christ, yes. The Christian Church, no. Right. They, they would accept a, a, as long as it's by immersion. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So, um, okay, well, anything else? Yeah, I've, I'm going to get to that in a minute, but I'll just say it now because I might forget then. Very valid point. When, when uh, sometimes I go down to Atlanta with Jeff Horn and do street evangelism and, and uh, really we're just handing out tracts but every now and again you do get a conversation and I'm telling you 99.9% of the time when you do get a conversation that's exactly what you hear exactly what you hear Cause I, and, and it's interesting then to well we had a lady a young girl the other night and said that right and then so jeff said well have you ever told he said have you heard of the ten commandments well sure you know well have you ever told a lie well yeah well what's that make you according to the bible you know a liar you know and then the same you just go through two or three of them and then just kind of say well we only looked at three of the ten commandments and based on what you've told me then so that kind of strips that away but that's that's what people the majority of people think well, I did as well. Now, now that I think about it, you know, I mean, I was raised Catholic, and and uh, you know, my thought was, um, well, I've never m- murdered anyone. I did about everything else other than that, but I never did kill anybody. Therefore, the worst I would get would be purgatory, you know. And that's not hell. 
so I was okay, right? Because, uh, you know, I mean, after all, how bad could it be? It's not hell. That was my thinking. But it was all, it was a scale, right, in my mind, just like this. So um, what other examples? The Catholics are, are that way as well. But what about, you know, a, a good evangelical church? Yes, sir. Sure. Sure. I, I know that as a sinner, honestly, it would be a lot more conscious soothing if I could lose my salvation because then I could say, well, I wasn't saved when I was doing that sin, right? And I, I counseled a pastor one time from a long way away from here, so nobody would know who he is, but um, <clears throat> that was caught in pornography. But he was a staunch Arminian pastor that believed that he could lose his salvation and believed that, you know, so I asked him, I said, well, let me ask you, when you're looking at porn, are you saved or unsaved? And he said, well, unsaved. And I said, well, how convenient, you know, I mean, you know. Uh, you know, but uh, what happens in the, if you die while you're looking at porn, you know, then you're not saved. You're in real trouble. But it's it's the same thing carried across all kinds of different sinners, right? I mean, if you think about the, the alcoholic that, that, that believes the, what the world teaches, that you've got a disease. Well, I used to be one of those myself and a drug addict. And you know what? If I could, if I could blame the disease on it, what am I going to do? I'm going to go drink, come home, and tell my wife I couldn't help it. The disease got me again, you know. But no, it's a sinful thing, right? So, but we always want to justify our wrong, right? And then that, but that I think to what Greg said, that's where we get in this mindset of building up all these things that are eventually. Then we find ourselves in the rut that we can't even keep those. But think of God's grace that how wonderful that is, then we can say, oh, yeah, you're right, I can't, but thank you, Lord, you can and did and have, right? So, yeah, that, those are good, really good points um, in in looking at what's going on here. So I, I think it's absolutely fascinating the way that Paul addresses this, right? The The doctrine that really does promote sin is justification by the law, if you think about it, rather than by faith. And he shows this by using his opponent's argument against them. Look at verse 18. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Right? So what was he referring to of what he tore down? The law, right? The Old Testament, the law, the Old Testament law that he has been talking about. Well, how do you tear down, or how did he tear down the law? Okay, and, and how how did he do that? How would we do that? He preached Christ, right? He preached the truth of the gospel, right? So, what would it look like if somebody tried to rebuild the law? Kind of what we've been talking about, but in this particular situation here, what would it? All right, but if somebody's trying to rebuild it, you know, somebody came into our. All right, yeah, but but this is what Peter was doing, right? He he found himself trying to do that in Antioch, 
right? First, he had destroyed the law by welcoming, wel- welcoming the Gentiles into the church as full-fledged Christians. Remember with Titus, you know, they'd all come to the conclusion that Titus doesn't need to be circumcised, but then they get, he just goes back, and as we looked at a couple of weeks ago, he's in Antioch now, and, and he starts to separate himself. He's rebuilding the law, right? Um, he, he's rebuilding it on one hand, he destroyed it with the other hand, and he, he told the Gentiles they were saved by faith and not by works, but now all of a sudden he's flip-flopped back around. That's what got Paul going down this path anyway, and the Galatians had started to go there, and that's why he is revisiting uh, what he had uh, spoken with Peter in Antioch to the Galatians. Um, so, um, somebody touched on... Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. And, um, you know, that... That we're talking about something far more significant than uh, politics, but you know, if the president, I would pretty much say 100% of the people in this room would not agree with our current president, right? But if he walked through that door right now, would there is there anybody in here that wouldn't be in awe? You know, not well, we'd be in awe because Biden walked in the room. <laughs> He's in church, you know, but, uh, yeah, but, but, yeah, yeah, he's supposed to be at the Catholic church, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, but, you know, the point, you know, so, you know, to Kay's point with Peter, you know, here comes, you know, these Judaizers, I mean, you know, I mean, just take, uh, who is somebody that all of us, you know, on the right side of things, not politically, but religion, you know, on the, on the side of Christianity, if John MacArthur walked through that door right there, we would all be in awe, would we not? You know, and and, and that's kind of, but if he got up and started to speak something that we all knew was truth, how many of us would say, well, MacArthur said it, so, you know what I mean? Uh, would we cave to that or would we stand up to it? So we, we tend to <clears throat> want to throw Peter under the bus, if you will, but... Uh, and again, I, I talked about, well, maybe we'll stop there. We didn't get through hardly any of my notes today, but Chris is uh, going to step in next week. Um, um, and my next question I had, and we're not going to answer it, I'll give it to you, because this may be what you're going to talk about, is what's the purpose of the law then or now, I guess, based on on that? Um so then I'll come back the following week and um, pick up in uh, verse 19. Um, one of, uh, I, I guess, the t- I started out kind of jokingly saying, but causing fear and trembling in me is probably a better way of saying it. When I got into verse 20, I was like, oh, my gosh, am I really even saved? But I tell you this week, I know I can't remember the the instances, but I do remember several times this week after reflecting on verse 20 if you want to read ahead um, of this the impact of that verse in my life this week of realizing what I have the treasure that we have and I I know I've been waiting since we started this study to get to that verse because it's Randy's life's life's verse he signs everything with that verse 
on it. I've remembered that. I see it every time I get a correspondence from him. It's on there. So really appreciate that. But <clears throat> we'll look at that next week and what the purpose of the law. And in two weeks, we'll look at the other. So any final comments? It helps. It helps me to know those. That as well, you know, I grow from calls in, but you know, there's no point in me standing here like Chris saying lecturing. You know, I'd rather get input. You know, and that's the beauty of the body of Christ. You know that we've got. Um, uh, well, somebody said to me earlier in the service we were talking about something before the church started, and you know, I couldn't think of this big word. And he said, "Well, you don't have to think of it in front of me. My neck's red, and my." Collars blue, you know, and that's me. You know, that's that's what I'm. I am. And then there's guys in here that are highly educated that have. But it takes that whole thing, you know. I often say that I love in Romans when Paul talks about the body of Christ, you know, and comparing it with a physical body. You know, we all think of what's the big deal of the little toe. And I always say, well, walk, catch it on the corner of that coffee table without shoes on. You know how significant it is, right? Um, so yeah.